0: God's Word. We desire to uh, be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to each and every person who comes along. Uh, We recognize that it is in the power of Jesus Christ that our lives are changed, our lives are transformed, and um, God's Spirit has opportunity uh, to speak to each of us. This morning we are uh, looking at the last section of John chapter 4. If you could turn with me there, the last section in John chapter 4, And for the sake of context, I was just wanting to read from verse 39. Recall last week, Shabu brought us the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman and how, as a result of her testimony, many many of the Samaritans came to believe in Jesus. So John chapter 4 and from, from verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Saviour of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no one in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water in wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Charles Blondin was somewhat of a celebrity in the United States and Canada in the 1850s. He was a tightrope walker. He was... um, a bit of an entrepreneur also. He was indeed the first man to ever walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Now bearing in mind this is long before TV or YouTube or Facebook live streaming or Instagram, but when he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, there were literally tens of thousands of people that came to witness that event. And he actually did it on more than one occasion. Each time that he walked across on that rope, he did more and more amazing things as he was walking across. He threw his pole away. He didn't need his balancing pole. On another occasion, the crowds came to witness him put on a blindfold and walk across. On still another occasion, he took a a bottle of, of champagne with him And he stopped halfway across, sat down on the rope and drank some wine. Later on, he lay down on the rope as if he was having a rest halfway across. And then on another occasion, again with tens of thousands of people flocking to witness what he was going to show them next, he bought a wheelbarrow. And he got up and he said to the people, how many of you people think that I can walk across Niagara Falls on this rope with a wheelbarrow in tow there were some people who had witnessed what he had done before who, who sort of thought well yeah you probably can you've done, it, you've done it on other occasions with different things and there was a large portion of understanding that if, if if the wheelbarrow lost its balance it was going to be like a millstone to you and you'd be going over too well Charles gets the wheelbarrow and he goes across and he gets to the other side And the crowds cheering, and Charles gets up and he quietens the crowd, and he says, "Now, do you believe that I can do this? Now, do you believe that I can take this wheelchair across?" And the uh, sorry, not the wheelchair, the wheelbarrow across. And the and the crowds saying, "Yeah, you've done it. You've done it on numerous occasions. We believe." And while the while the crowd's all excited Charles then says so who among you is going to hop in the wheelbarrow so that I can take you across and there's dead silence it's one thing to believe in someone even to trust them to do what they said they would do but it's something else entirely to wholeheartedly entrust even your very life to them it's another thing to actually believe enough to get into the wheelbarrow and go across in this second sign John records in his gospel we'll see kind of see this unfold there's a bit of background verses 43 to 45 we see Jesus returning to Galilee and we're given some insight as to the state of where the people's thinking was at towards Jesus and John John clearly wants us to see the contrast between the response of the Samaritans and the response of the people in Galilee the Samaritans, who, after only two days, confessed Jesus was the savior of the world, in verse 42. And here's the Galatians who had known him some of them for many years. This was where he'd grown up, spent his formative years preparing for the public ministry that was to come. Now, I don't know if you think about such things, but sometimes I do. I don't know whether you've ever thought about what it must have been like to grow up with Jesus. But maybe you have a sibling or a friend that just seems to have everything fall into place. They're academically gifted and don't seem to have to work too hard to get the kind of marks that perhaps you could only dream of. Maybe they have athletic ability that allows them to do well at any sport or athletic endeavour they put their hand to. Perhaps there's a natural affinity for music or singing, for picking up an instrument and making it sound exactly like it was meant to. Everything they touch seems to turn to gold. They might have more creativity than you could ever hope for or are just able to fit in socially in whatever setting. Whether they're talking to rich or poor, young or old... Regardless of intellect, whether standing in front of a group or talking one-on-one, they're able to engage other people on such a variety of levels. If there's someone in your life like that, then you probably need to kind of multiply it by a hundred or a thousand times to get a picture of what it must have been like, I think, to grow up with Jesus. John says right at the beginning of, of the gospel... That he was there at creation. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. This is God incarnate. But on top of that, please also remember that these things were true of Jesus. He was without sin. He was patient, forgiving, without malice gracious and all with a selfless heart all with a servant heart I'm not trying to make excuses for the people of Galilee but the phrase familiarity breeds contempt comes to mind if you know someone as I've described then I bet there's a degree of jealousy envy or even resentment arisen on occasion and you kind of wouldn't be human if that wasn't the case So when Jesus himself describes how hard a nut Galilee is to crack I kind of understand at least from a human perspective why that's the case now while verse 45 describes the people of Galilee being excited to see Jesus it was based on what they had witnessed in Jerusalem at Passover you recall we we looked at that a few weeks ago there were Galileans at Passover Jesus does this incredible thing he goes into the temple and he turns it upside down he removes those, those people who are making money out of the general populace that had sought to worship Jesus. Afterwards, we're told that Jesus did many miracles. The Galileans were present. But our passage today actually puts their real intent into context. Verse 48, Jesus says, and he's not just saying to the man, he's saying to the, to the Galileans also, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe their real interest was in what they would see or benefit from. They wanted to be entertained or to see something that would assist themselves. And what we find in verse 46 is a father comes to Jesus. A father's cry for help. As your translation may mention, this father was a royal official. Most commentators agree that he as he came from Capernaum he was most likely in the service of Herod Antipas now although Herod wasn't an official king he was regarded by many uh, as a king it was this Herod Antipas who had married his brother's wife and it was he that put John the Baptist to death and while this official has status and power that came with such a position we see as any father would who has sat at the side of his desperately ill child that he's desperate there's a feeling of helplessness that must have been palpable in this man all he could humanly do he had done but he had heard of one who was doing incredible things and so he makes what's around a a 20 kilometer trip to Cana to meet Jesus we read there that he finds Jesus and he pleads with Jesus to come to his son's bedside and heal him as he's only just clinging to life. Now, if we were to read the words of Jesus in isolation, we'll miss seeing what's really happening here. And, and we can actually lead to the conclusion that Jesus' Jesus's response was a little harsh or even uncaring. Yet the faith that Jesus draws out of this man is one of the key lessons behind this miracle. The second sign that John records for us in his gospel. Again, we see the focus is not so much on the miracle, but what Jesus wants us to learn through it. But where Jesus wants to lead this man through the miracle. You know, the more I've read this passage over the last few weeks, I've read it over and over again, and as I've continued to read it, I've been more taken with the reaction of this man and realized how powerfully relevant what he learns, how he responds, and where this leads him to is to each and every one of us. And just quickly, I'd like to go through those three things. What this man learns, how he responds, and what that leads to. What does he learn? Well, let me say it in, in, in one uh, sentence and then expand on it. What does he learn? He learns that faith comes by believing. Believing. This man's faith was established before he knew the miracle had taken place. He trusted in the one who was behind the promise. I wonder if all too often our response is a little bit like the disciple Thomas. I'll believe when I see. Or show me. God, do this for me and then I'll be able to better follow you. And I guess we've all been there. Maybe that's where you're at right now. If God would prove himself, do something incredible, if I was to to get a a job that's going to allow me to have more income, then I'll be able to give better. If God does something for me, then I'll better be able to follow. But guess what, church? God doesn't need to do anything to prove himself to your eye he's in no way indebted to us the fact he continues to provide for us just shows the grace upon grace he continues to pour out toward us and this dad in our our account here this dad experienced the grace of Jesus to heal his son despite Jesus actually likening him to the sign-seeking Galileans verse 48 unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe Nowhere here does Jesus actually commend the man man, or the people around him. In fact, I can see that Jesus is almost provoked at the sign-seeking false faith that abounds in Galilee. And it's in this context that Jesus freely gives the gift of healing. Faith does not come by God providing for our perceived needs And then, as a result of what God does for us, as a result almost of God pleasing us, then we'll respond. Because the reality is that never works. It will never produce lasting change. We can never be satisfied with what we have because the natural tendency of the human condition is to take what we have for granted and to continue to ask, to search for more and more. This man learns faith comes by believing. And how does he respond? What's his response? Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. And the father has a decision to make. There's a choice to make. Do I take the word of this man or perhaps I should continue to beg him to come? Maybe if I hassle him long enough, he'll come to see my son. Jesus brings him to a crisis of faith. What choice will you make? What if he were to return home and the boy actually dies? How would he be able to explain to his family that he simply walked away having taken the word of a virtual stranger? What is he to do? But what we find in this passage is that this man responds in faith. What are we told in verse 50? He believes the word of Jesus. And off he goes. Hearing the words of Jesus, he chooses to believe in these words and he begins that trip home. I believe that gracious, compassionate exchange that he had with Jesus was apparent and it enabled that man to express faith in Jesus' words. There's a faith established. Please don't underestimate that statement. He believed the word of Jesus. I mean, are we able to do that in all honesty? Do we do that? Could we do it? Is there a situation right now where God is asking, is challenging you to step out to take him at his word believing that whatever the road leads to you are truly in his hands this man has learned there is only one way to god and it's the way of faith it's a theme that runs throughout the bible hebrews chapter 11 we've talked about it before that chapter that records caused the heroes of faith in the old testament It starts off with these words Faith is the assurance of things hoped for And the conviction of things not seen For by it men of old gained approval By faith we understand that the the worlds Were prepared by the word of God So that what is seen was not made out of things Which were invisible The Old Testament characters are recorded In this chapter of Hebrews Not because they trusted in a miracle or a sign from God Time and time again The writer of the Hebrews reminds us That they live by faith in the word of God They lived by faith in his promises. Some of them never actually witnessing the promises while they were alive. Just just take one of those characters, Noah, for instance. God comes to Noah and he says to Noah, I'm grieved with the state of man. I want to make a fresh start. Noah, I want you to build an ark. Do you know how long it took to build that ark? Someone tell me, how long did it take to build that ark? Sorry? Thank you. Can you imagine taking a hundred odd years to build the ark? A hundred years to build the ark. Imagine being there with a faith that is able to continue to follow through with what God has asked, to believe that the promises of God are real. And yet, the writer of the Hebrews says he became an heir to the righteousness. That comes by faith. We move over to the New Testament and we find the same is true. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, if Jesus wanted his ministry to be one characterised by where everyone would be blown away by his power, by seeing his miracles time and time again, then he wouldn't have been able to do that. One after another, after another, after another. What he wants is faith in his word because it is this that will stand strong through the trials of life that everyone faces. It is faith it is faith in the one who promises whose promises are always true even when we don't see a way through from our own health or family spiritual or financial or any other crisis we find ourselves in it is faith in him that prevents us from simply becoming consumers demanding more and more never being content as if jesus simply existed in order to meet our needs it's faith in his word that allows us to walk the path that he has set out for each and every one of us whether living in plenty or in want Whether being well fed or hungry, in any and every circumstance, it's being able to be content that we are in his hands. Now I understand this is easy to say and, and not always easy to do when we're in the midst of heartache, but God's word is true. We know that he walks beside us, indeed within us through his spirit, because he's promised that. That he will never leave or forsake us. That he prepares a place for us. How do I know this? Because I believe. I believe what the word of God tells me. It's living and true. It transforms lives. I've experienced it myself and so many of you can, can testify to that this morning. God's word will change your life. If you're prepared to listen to what Jesus says and place your faith in him. Well, back to the father in our texts. What thoughts were going through his mind, we can only wonder. As I think about it, I wonder, was there, was there fear? Was there doubt? Expectation? Excitement? I wonder, was he maybe even practicing? What was he going to say to his wife if things didn't turn out the way he thought? What am I going to say to my wife if I get there and my son, son's gone? At some point in the journey, this man sees servants coming towards him. Again, I wonder what he's thinking as he sees these servants coming. And there he's told, your son has recovered. He further finds out that the time of the fever leaving his son corresponded to the exact hour when Jesus said his son would live. This man learns that faith comes by believing, and how does he respond? He responds with obedient expectation. He goes on his way. He trusts in the word of the Lord. God builds and establishes a believer's faith through all the circumstances of our lives, both good and bad. Becoming a follower of Jesus is the beginning of a life that continually experiences and acknowledges that God's hand is at work in our life. All of the experiences of life ought to be used as an opportunity to grow our faith. This man, well, he must have been overwhelmed with a sense of joy, of gratitude and wonder at what Jesus had done. Would not his fledging faith have grown enormously as a consequence? Finally, moving on, what does it lead to? Verse 53, what does it lead to? He came to believe by faith. It led him to go, trusting in the promises of God. And what does it lead to? Verse 53 tells us, The father knew that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household, his entire family hears the good news, and in God's providence, they too believed. What does he do? He goes and proclaims to his family. To those who are around him. Oh, our son's healed. I want to explain to you exactly what happened. I went and I met this Jesus and he told me this would happen. He asked for a step of faith. I believe him to be who he claims to be. And this confirms for me. The healing of our son. It reminds us of John's purpose statement. These things are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing we would have life in his name. What we've just re- witnessed in this man coming to faith in Jesus is a microcosm of the Christian life. Jesus asks us to step out in faith, to take him and his word. As we do that, Jesus continue, God continues to confirm, to build our faith, to grow our faith. And as a result, we cannot help but tell others. We want our families to know. We want those who are our friends to know. Well, in conclusion, that phrase that I mentioned earlier, familiarity breeds contempt, is relevant to quite a few of us who are listening today, I believe. If you've grown up in a Christian home, you may well know what I mean. You've heard the stories of Jesus from a young age. Maybe you've gone to kids' church. You may well even be able to explain the gospel. It could be that you believe what the Bible says about God, about Jesus. But all of this does not constitute the faith that Jesus speaks to in this passage, in this passage we've just visited. If you've been a church kid kid growing up in a Christian setting, or you've attended church because it's expected of you, or you mix regularly in Christian circles, can I say, unless you walk by faith, you're in great danger. You're in danger of taking for granted the greatest message you'll ever hear in danger of thinking that knowledge of Jesus Christ equates to relationship with him. That the gospel is only for those who haven't heard. That believing in the stories of the Bible is the same as having faith in the living word. Are you prepared to give him all of your life? To get into the wheelbarrow as it were? and let him guide you we who are disciples of Jesus also need to take note of the lesson that Jesus is drawing out here the challenge of those words are a call out to all of us do we walk by faith or are we waiting for some rescue do we walk by faith or by sight this man walked away with only Jesus' word that all would be well with his son how many of us would be able to do that, in all honesty? It's so easy in our culture to feel very comfortable with God's provisions, almost as if it's our right. As Christians, we must be aware the enemy is happy with the fruitlessness that comfort, stability, and wealth has the potential to produce in our lives. Is your relationship with God one sided? I mean, I'm sure you've all experienced this at times. I'm in need, I need to get back to God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to get my Bible off the shelf. I recognise that I need to cultivate that relationship. Yet how should we live this week as children of God? Where does your face faith need to be exercised more than simply pleading for rescue. Of course, we understand Jesus tells us to bring him our burdens, that he's there to help carry our burdens. But where does faith come into our reckoning? Like Paul's thorn, of, thorn in the flesh. Here's Paul doing a great ministry work for Jesus. Jesus. There's a thorn in the flesh and time again, time again, he asks it to be removed. And the response is, no. My grace will be sufficient for you. How might you and I walk by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us as we endure the trial of life that perhaps we're going through in the, in the right now? Are we actually able to see that perhaps this is the means through which your faith is able to bless others and indeed grow your own relationship with Jesus? The primary difference between the Samaritans' response and that of the people from Galilee was that one group believed the word of Jesus, the other wanted him to somehow try and continue to prove himself. Where do you sit? What does walking by faith look like to others you have opportunity to influence? Are we able to share with others, as this man obviously did, that by God's grace we might be instrument of change in the lives of others? The grace and power Jesus provided in this sign point to one who is worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our very lives. If there's anything in this complex, exciting, yet confusing, selfish, and at times hurtful world world, that we can totally be sure of, that we can be completely confident in, it is in Jesus. It is the promises of Jesus Christ. As the music team comes up, can, can I finish by saying that my prayer for each of us is that we'll continue, God will continue to teach and guide each of us toward a faith that is established on Jesus, walking in his light, following his word, testifying to the world that we have a faith in a living hope, regardless of the circumstances of life we find ourselves in. God bless you all.